This is Coda Radio, episode 470, recorded June 9th, 2022. Hello, friends, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us in his podcasting position, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Misa here. <laughs> yes, you are. You are. And honestly, that's 80% of the battle, my friend. Maybe even 85. You know what I mean? That's what I'm sticking with right now. I sometimes overdo it. And I'm in denial about overdoing it until my health starts to fail. And then I zoom out and go, oh, I did it again. You know, I did it again. Boy, I am so damn busy. And I've been thinking about it. Why is it? As a podcaster, you know, why is the guy who's doing podcasts? Why am I so effing busy? And I just keep getting busier. And I have ways of gauging this. Like, you know, when like you got emails in your inbox that are like about sales and closing a sale, but you just like haven't gotten to it for a week because you just haven't gotten a chance to get to your email. It's kind of weeks. I weeks. I'm having weeks of that right now. And it's like, I thought when I restarted the indie thing, uh, I'd take all these things I learned and I'd avoid this problem altogether again. You know, I, oh, I'll do better this time. No, it's way worse. It's way worse. This time will be different. No, it's worse. And you know what I realized? A, I went from having a big team to a real small team. Uh, but B, I repeated a critical mistake that I made last time, an absolute critical mistake. And this is a bit of wisdom I want to pass on to people out there thinking about starting a side hustle or doing their own gig. Only do one job. I didn't realize it, but I gave myself two jobs. We got a whole slate of shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And that, running those shows and creating content and going through and all the follow-up that it requires, all of the work, that, you know, when you have four or five shows, that's more than a full-time job, my friends. But then the other thing I did, because I was the best candidate for it, is I'm also the ad sales guy, right? I'm the, I'm, I, I'm the one that communicates with the sponsors. I go out there. And essentially with ad sales, you're always selling because you're always, these deals take sometimes six months to line up. You're always following up. You're every, you know, every opportunity you get, you're jumping onto a video call, doing a meeting. You're always replying to questions or modifications. It's a full-time job itself. And both of them never end, right? That there's, there's always a show within a couple of hours that within a few hours that needs to start, I need to start working on. I always have to be working on the sponsor stuff always, because if you stop, then like three, four or five months down the road, all revenue stops coming in. It's like, it's a, it's bad. Right. And so it's, I think it's a super common mistake in new media that a lot of people that start their own new media company, I think it's a really common mistake. And then I think what happens is most of them burn out. Like they don't make it 15 years, right? They make it five, 10 years at most, and then they burn out. But I just keep going because I'm in denial about it until I like look around and see like all the rubble around me of things that I have failed to do or forgotten about or didn't get to. And I'm like, oh, I've done it again. And then I start realizing, oh, my health's kind of, I'm kind of falling apart. What's going on? Oh, I'm such an idiot. And I, I can't believe I find myself here like almost once a quarter at this rate. It's so frustrating because I'm just so helpless apparently do you do you just uh, you know what I'm looking I'm looking just to just to tell me you struggle like this too I just need to know I need to know it's not just me between you know IT infrastructure dev sales I mean I, I don't I don't know how you avoid not having two or three hats though right because there's the whole infrastructure side of things too thank god I get help from Wes on that Oof. and Alex 
You know, Alex has been really helpful there too. Those guys are great, but yeah, there's a lot there. So just my bit of wisdom that I am, my lesson I have learned from this is when you're creating a job for yourself, try to give yourself just one job and then try to delegate all that stuff you can. It's really hard depending on the niche you're in. Sometimes there isn't the revenue to delegate. That's always the number one feedback that always comes in. Oh, Chris, you just need to learn to delegate. All right, well, send that with a with a hundred thousand dollar boost, <laughs> you know, and I'll hire somebody and I'll delegate. <laughs> in the meantime, uh, I'm gonna have to figure it out on my own. But we get we got a bunch of feedback. People who are uh, working in remote virtual desktops. Something you and I brought up recently on the show, and I wanted to get to some of this. Uh, Alex Gates wrote in. He said, "My last gig, we configured a medium size Azure virtual desktop environment, and it was really good. Uh, anyone that got it." pretty much ditched their laptops. This is primarily because of limitations for budgets on new hardware, of course. Cheap, crappy company laptops over a powerful remote system? That makes sense. The virtual desktops are all RDP-based, like I imagine most dev boxes would be. They did end up having a lot of engineers using the environment with 3D-accelerated CAD setups, even. In a gig like that, I'd take a virtual remote desktop over a local one any day of the week, assuming it was on an RDP. RDP-based system. And that actually seems to be surprisingly the, the maker or breaker is what is the what is the remote connection protocol being used? Citrix and RDP seem to be the favorite of the audience, and then it kind of goes downhill from there. And that just can make all the difference with the latency of the connection. Kind of on the same line, Patias shared the joys and the sorrows of running their dev environment on the Google Cloud infrastructure. They write, I'm a DevOps person for a web hosting company here, and I got some sorrows and some joys of remote VMs. The joys, I have easy access to support developers and see what they are seeing in real time and deploy the same automation on the same OS as our staging and prod environments. All right. I've done remote support. I acknowledge remote support's way better there. And the staging stuff. This, again, I think is an area that comes up where people want something they can easily stage, easily deploy to all their developers. The biggest issue is resource consumption. VS Code has a bunch of useful extensions like LiveShare and IntelliSense, and our devs love it, but sometimes it can use one gig of RAM for each remote session. So resource consumption issues can also run us out of memory. That can be a problem. Though this seems like a common issue with any sort of virtual desktop environment, at least ones that I've run into. We're planning on moving back to the local dev environment based on Docker, but that will also mean another platform that needs to be maintained since we'll need to replicate any changes from our current VM and Ansible-based setup in Docker. There you go. I mean, that was really, I think, the highlights of it. We got a note, too, from Summer Evans. They, they love the remote setup. They say, when the pandemic started, I was working as a .NET developer at a Windows desktop. We weren't allowed to bring home our desktop computers, so I ended up remoting into desktop, into my desktop. It was horrible at first because of bad internet, but now that that's been fixed, I work at a company where I work on open source now, and I have a VPS set up on my own with Tmux and I remote in there for most of my daily work. I like it a lot. I can switch between computers quickly and resume my work, and Tmux is way more lightweight than anything graphical. I see. I wonder how that holds up if the internet connection is crappy. That's definitely where it goes sideways, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, although that's getting better, especially, you know, a lot of home connections are wired. I don't know, right? I mean, have you ever heard of Comcast? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we know. We know just doing this show for years. There's some days where things are just bad and there's nothing you can do about it. Squirrely Dave wrote in to say that he works in Citrix when remote 
And then when he goes into the office, they issue him a Chromebook, which he says, I mean, that's fine because, quote, I don't actually get any work done in the office. Seems mean, but I like it. It was a jab at you. It totally was. It was. Right on the chin. Right. In the yeah. Person. We got more feedback and we'd love to collect some more. We're recording another episode on Monday in our regular time. We're doing a special recording right now. A special. That's right. Coder on a Thursday because we're getting ready for some travel. So uh, some extra feedback would be great. Go over to coder.show slash contact or grab a new podcasting app and send us in a boost. A quick mention about the London meetup coming up in August. There's been a day change. So be sure you're going to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting and you've joined the meetup. So that way, you know, all the deets because there's some flight changes. So there's a slight day change. Everything's over at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting because, yes, Alex from Self-Hosted will be in London in August and there is a meetup getting organized. Mike and I won't be there. Well, at least not this time. But when we land that big uh, Ford EV sponsorship and we got, you know, big Ford money. Maybe we'll go do a show in London. I got that big Ford energy. I like it. I like it. Tailscale.com slash code or go there to get a free account up to 20 devices. I love Tailscale. It is a zero config VPN. It installs on any device in minutes and not a week goes by where I don't see multiple community members lives change because of Tailscale. Not exaggerating. Happened this morning before I sat down to record. Maybe that's why I'm super hyped right now. A great conversation in our Telegram group about a user who was transitioning from a really kind of brittle open VPN setup to tail scale and then using ACLs and exit nodes to really complete the picture for them. It's so great. You see, devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol encryption. You build a mesh VPN network powered by WireGuard. You can quickly create secure ACLs, too, to share one machine with somebody. It'll bust through carrier-grade NAT. I can attest to that. I have been in, like, I'm not even kidding, like triple NAT deep, and Tailscale still works. That's how I keep all my family's computers connected so I can do remote support when my kids aren't at home with me. It's super handy for getting into my work systems, prepping for a show when I'm on the road. And you'll get it running on just about any. I've got it on Raspberry Pi. I got it on my iPhone. I got it on an iPad. I got it on my Linux boxes. It's part of my basic NixOS configuration now. When I deploy a NixOS box, it deploys with TailScale. Seriously. So go try it for yourself for free. Up to 20 machines at tailscale.com slash coder. This is the modern way to do VPNs. Every other VPN I've ever used feels so old after I've switched to TailScale. Go try it for yourself tailscale.com slash coder. Well, I got my HP Dev 1 since we gathered together last time. And I know you've been going all in, using it as your daily driver since we last chatted. I think this is worth talking about more. In fact, I think this is going to be a big topic of conversation in the Linux community over the next few weeks. Yeah, I think so too. I'm I'm you, you go first because I've been waiting for your feedback and you have been quite the tease. I have been saving it for the show. You coquettish bastard. Sorry. I just wanted to kind of, uh, you know, get your get your live reactions out there. You know, capture it raw. I feel like th- this is potentially a laptop that is going to fill a very critical space in the Linux ecosystem. So traditionally, uh, I can tell you that 
we have been lacking just something very simple. When somebody comes and says, hey, I'd like a great laptop to run Linux, what do you recommend? You have to you need a chart of are they a ThinkPad person potentially? Are they going to be an XPS person? Should we be sending them to System76? Like there's like all of these potential avenues you could go down and you have to ask them all of these questions. And there's not just a go to this website and order this configuration. And that is exactly how it is on the MacBook world. Like pretty much anybody could go buy a MacBook Air M2 now, whatever model they want, even the base model, and it's going to be good enough for 90% of people out there. We haven't had that in Linux. We've had all of these variables. And so I have felt for a long time that Dell was so close to cinching that. If Dell just made it a little more discoverable, a little simpler, a little less of a Dell experience to get the XPS, and if they just kind of leaned into it a bit more instead of kind of fade like they seem to be, the XPS could have really kind of grabbed that Linux king crown of laptops. In fact, today as we record, a brand new XPS 13 has just been announced. Not the Linux edition, but a new XPS 13 that the Linux edition will probably be based on at some point in the future. That's been announced. And it's more in a direction I'm not a huge fan of. I mean, it has a new Intel processor in there. It has a smaller motherboard. It has better battery life. Those things are good. But it has one USB-C port on each side, two USB-C ports total. It has a butterfly-style chiclet keyboard. Right, It's going the wrong direction in other areas, and it's also based around an Intel platform, which for some of us, there's just less enthusiasm about these days. So it just kind of wasn't quite getting that king status. And you'd really like it to be a piece of hardware that comes from a tier one OEM vendor that can ship, that has scale, that has deep supply chain connections, that kind of stuff, especially these days. And the HP Dev 1. I think is the best candidate for the king of Linux laptops crown that we have seen in a long time. And it just took them getting the formula right. You can tell where they decided to take risks and you can tell where they decided not to take risks. And the risk that they decided to take here was to make a Linux focused laptop. And then they didn't take a lot of risks with the hardware design. It's not really anything exceptional, but it's also not below anything you'd expect. It's they kind of just got it right there in the middle with the, with the hardware design. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think I think it's uh you know it's good. It's definitely you know if you're looking for like a wafer thin MacBook Air, this is probably not for you. But if you're looking for a more I, practical is the word that comes to mind, right? With a with a slightly better design look than say like a ThinkPad, right? Yeah, it's got that yeah, magnesium sure. alloy chassis, uh, which at first I thought might be plastic. I couldn't tell because it was so light. I actually thought it was plastic. So then it really kind of came down to how does it work for me? Uh, and I'm still planning to throw like a bunch of synthetic benchmarks at it and a lot of scenarios, which I haven't done yet. Um, and I haven't still gotten a good grasp of its battery life capacity. But I do feel like I have a very good grasp on how it works for my kind of maximum workload scenario. So like when I sit down and I set up a laptop for the first time or after I've reloaded it, I will have Steam downloading and installing a game in the background while I have apt or whatever, DNF, whatever, installing packages while I also have Flatpak installing like 30 packages. And I will have all of this going while I'm also browsing the web, probably watching some YouTube. I have a matrix chat open. Absolutely. I have Telegram open. Absolutely. Probably have Slack open as well. I have probably three or four desktops, virtual desktops deep while I'm doing this. 
or I'm doing all of that, and if I'm not if I'm not downloading a Steam game, I'm pre-caching the uh, shaders for like uh, you know the performance. That's generally how I work. It's a very ADD style where I have a lot of things going on at once, and so if I can install a flat pack and an and a dev package at the same time, I will. And why not? During all of that, which I was doing for a solid three four hours, the fans never kicked up. That typically almost that just never happens on a Linux laptop. Even during the pre-caching of the shaders for my games, the fans did not kick up. The performance never lagged. It never, it never missed a beat. I was very impressed. The only time I heard the fans actually go on was when the game finally started. Even then, the speakers are so damn good that it was absolutely no issue. And even with the fans going, it's still quieter than every other laptop I have once the fans kick up. Um, the, maybe the, maybe aside from the MacBook, when when I had that experience, I started getting a little more serious about the laptop because I was like, okay, I just threw a lot at this, and then it loaded my freaking video game, and then I played my video game on this thing. That's a big deal because if I've got a thousand bucks to spend, if I've got twelve hundred bucks to spend, I game very rarely, but when I do game. I want to be able to do that. And that's getting better and better on Linux and ever. In fact, if it's an area where the Linux desktop is significantly more competitive than the Mac desktop. And so that's an area where if I'm going to have a Linux box, I want to be able to play video games. But on my ThinkPad, where it's all an Intel configuration, the Intel graphics are just not powerful enough. And on other systems where I have a Intel and NVIDIA, it's a real pain in the neck to manage that. And it makes it harder to flip between distributions like a maniac. This, it strikes that balance because the built-in integrated AMD GPU is good enough that I was playing Halo last night on it. And it was totally playable. Ooh. Now, we're, how noobish were you, though? Let's get to the heart of the matter. Oh, I haven't played Halo since, like, the early Xbox days, man. So it was rough. Yeah, I, try, I, try, I tried some Infinity myself. Wasn't, uh, wasn't a good idea. The other game that I threw at it, which is always very complex, and it sort of it murders every other system I have, unfortunately, for whatever reason, is Star Trek Online. It's not even that new of a game, but I, maybe it's just not super optimized. Star Trek Online, say you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like a 10-year-old MMO. Okay, I was, I was thinking, uh, what was I thinking? So? Yeah, it's Stowe. Yeah, yep, it's Stowe. Yeah, and you know they've they've kept it going. It's they're still it's still going, man. And so uh, I loaded it on there, which I have, I have legitimately like ten years of experience of getting this game working on Linux. So it's like a great test for me in that regard. It's so freaking flawless now, and I'm not a big big gamer, obviously, but I absolutely felt like this laptop would accomplish all of my gaming needs which is is a nice box to check for this thing. Then on top of that, I feel like this, it's not like a blowaway trackpad, but it's an above average trackpad. Yeah. It's better than probably every other trackpad out there on a, on a Linux machine. This probably has the best speakers of any Linux laptop shipping today. What was your impression of the speakers? So I was surprised that I could easily do Slack and Zoom calls, uh, such as the one we were on, which some pro plugged the show because, you know, you got to have that going without like a headset or mic or anything and it was pretty good you know i i started off iffy and then i fell in love with the machine until i mine is getting sent back for a replacement oh uh, oh yeah so tell us what happened there the USB C charging has just stopped working 
So after a, a good hustle by the System76 people to try to figure out, you know, what was the software, it was concluded that it's actually a hardware issue. Could have shorted out, whatever. So I will unfortunately be HP Dev One list. I do have the review unit. But, you know, it's such a pain in the pain in the butt to kind of move into a whole system just to have to wipe it, <laughs> knowing that if I wait till like Monday or Tuesday, I'll have another one, according to uh, HP. So super good support though, and other than that one issue. I this was is going to be my daily driver once I have the repaired unit. And the reason I care so much about the USB-C, are we allowed to talk about that little meeting we were in or no? Yeah, I think we should mention it. You and I were on a call with HP and System76 where they're kind of giving us the background deets on how this all came together and whatnot. Yeah, w- one of the things I had mentioned was like, okay, so if it has USB-C and it has power over USB-C, because at the time of the call it was still working. It like died like two hours later. Theoretically, this could be kind of the ideal, you know, I'm just sometimes you're home, sometimes you're on the go, just plug in one cable and you have your whole workstation ready to go. Yeah, that port, that USB-C port does do power delivery and display. So when that, you know, when it works, you know, let's talk about this for a second. So, you know, when you're looking at this, what what makes this like a work machine? Like, is this a is this a viable ThinkPad competitor? Is this a real work machine? And there there's a couple of things that we learned in that call. And that is, is that System76 and HP kind of have a ongoing contract of some kind, you know, some relationship. They're lovers. Yeah. And Carl, the CEO of System76 in that call, said that System76 is doing, quote, indefinite Q&A on every Pop! OS kernel release, every firmware release for the Dev1. System76 and HP are both doing Q&A. And then then they ship it upstream with 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 Pop OS, just all other Pop OS stuff. So there's not like a special repo or anything for uh, the Dev One users. But in that conversation, Carl said that the first couple of prototypes they got just arrived as parts in a box, not even assembled, and that they actually assembled the first one that they got to play with themselves. They put it together, and they brought that up to mention it's you know there's real serviceability here. In fact, the 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 HP laptop, the original HP laptop that this Dev One is forked from, has a ten out of ten on the iFixit repairability score. So these are things that I think about if I'm thinking about a work machine, right? If I'm thinking about like, I'm thinking about Brent, right? I'm thinking about Wes. I'm thinking about our our hosts like Mike and like Alex, and I'm thinking about. What if JB got to a point where when we start working with somebody, just to make sure we had a really good setup. We just sent them a machine, pre-configured, ready to go, to connect in. This is your podcast laptop. This would check those boxes for me. It would have the performance. It would have the noise profile that I'm looking for in a machine I record with. And it has the support. HP has dedicated support staff just for the Dev One line. That's a big deal. Like That's a real commitment from a company side. And I'm curious what you picked up on this, but they won't come right out and say it, obviously. But I think they intend this to be like something iterating on, like they do another Dev One in a year or so. Like this could be a multi-product line kind of thing if this first one is successful. Yeah, I mean, I think you you kind of tried to hold their feet to the fire a little bit, I think, in our call, right? Where it's it's pretty clear that this is not a one-time deal. I'm curious if they stick with the AMD infrastructure there. It seems, at least to my, you know, off-the-cuff testing, it seems super fast. And that's just with the base 16 gigs of RAM. 
I mean, I was playing XCOM and getting my ass handed to me. Just with fantastic fidelity, though. <laughs> again, this isn't a paid... This is not again. Yeah, make the, the nobody's paying us for this. Nobody's thing. paying us. Mike bought his own. I literally, yeah, that's why, that's why I can get a return. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I will, I will do the same if at the end of my review, which I think, you know, I'm trending that way right now. I haven't thrown like a lot of my media encoding jobs at, I haven't done a lot of that stuff yet, but one of the things that's giving me a pretty good sense that it's going to work out. And another reason why I think this is a good work laptop is it's an open source driver stack in there. And ultimately, when it comes to Linux laptops, that's usually when things start getting a little buggy on you is somewhere in the driver stack. Something isn't working, as Mike knows, as Mike has run into over the years. Oh, Mike is God damn you, Qualcomm. Um, (laughs) This is one of the reviews, one of the strangest ones I've ever done in that usually I fall in love when I open the box because I'm easily bribed by stand ups of robot guys. But. Then I start to like see all the flaws, right? The fan kicks up. I get moody about it. I get a decimal reader, things like that. This one, I was kind of like, eh, okay. Well, actually, is that not plastic? Huh, the battery life is actually pretty good. Look at it adjusting the screen based on the content on the screen to try to minimize battery usage, but keep the same relative level of brightness, which I don't know if you've noticed that, but it does that if you leave that on. Yeah, and it's a hell of a screen, too. I mean, Visual Studio Code still thinks I'm 16 and have like, you know, vampire vision. So I got to go, got to do the command, whatever it is, the command shift plus there to zoom in a little bit. That's, that's, that's just VS Code. I have literally been working in it nonstop. In fact, I'm probably up until today when I, you know, I wanted to like see was the software. So I did the restore thing, you know, the boot into recovery restore. It, it's not software, but it's now wiped and ready to be returned. Thousand nits. I ended up turning it down because it's stupidly bright. But when, it, when I'm sitting in Florida on my porch working and it's Florida, it's super nice to have it not be completely washed out. Um, I do tons of video calls. I look like a potato, but that's not its fault. If these AMD Ryzen chips keep going the way I think they're going, and if System76 and HP stick with that platform, this could be a super viable, and I think it even is today, super viable MacBook alternative. Plus, you get all the games. And I mean, I'm not... All right, so like XCOM, Civ Six. I downloaded Age of Empires 4, but didn't get to play it yet. And Sonic Mania. So I'm not like, you know, super gamer dude who, you know, so I'm, I'm sure like for the serious newer stuff, you need a GPU. But if you like indie games or just kind of, you know, puzzle or strategy games, this is just fine. Also, did did you try their insane mouse? Not yet, no. Yeah, download the app, uh, the uh, mouse configurator. If you were a, like a real gamer, I have a feeling you could do all kinds of crazy, I don't know if this is still a thing, but like StarCraft macros. Yeah, it did seem like that mouse has support for essentially little mini macros. Well, it's it has programmable, I forgot what they call them, profiles or context, something like that, in that app that was written by System76 for that mouse on that machine. Yeah, isn't that an interesting bit? So HP's decided to complete the picture of this. You can add a System76 launch keyboard and their mouse, which they are they're actually pretty proud of this mouse. Uh, they they actually dedicate a little bit of their presentation to talk about the mouse. Um, and you know what? After they talked about it, I was like, oh, oh, that's why that's why they like it so much. They call it the HP 935 Creator Wireless Mouse. It's an $80 edition but they boast 12 weeks of battery life. It does a USB-A dongle or it'll do Bluetooth. Like Mike said, it has four different profile supports. And then System76 made that custom GUI uh, for it. 
they're trying to complete a whole picture here, but you notice there's kind of a hole in this picture they're trying to complete. Yeah, I did. I I, think, I believe I brought it up that they really should have some calibrated HP monitor that's calibrated like that panel in the laptop that is USB-C and it's just optimized to be the plug-in workstation. Yeah, something that it, it's like consistent across the two screens. That'd be perfect. And apparently nobody else thought of that on the call. <laughs> Maybe that's for Gen 2, right? Because... If this thing sticks around, you get the sense that things like Coreboot are going to be part of it. Coreboot was on the list. We asked them about that. And they just ran out of time for version one, is what they said. Uh, the, the, the highlight of the call, I think, would be my uh, fondness of liquor coming up as a quality assurance metric they have. Amazing. Actually happened. Nicely done, Carl. Nicely done. Uh, Michael, Dominic, I, I understand you were going to do some spill testing. But yeah, so that actually happened. They mentioned it, and it does supposedly have a spill-proof keyboard. I tried to get them to really get specific, <laughs> and they were like, well... <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I'm like, well... And then, of course, I had to tell them it was broken, and the first thing I have to say, I did not spill anything. <laughs> of course you did. I had to open with that. I said, it's just got to start. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, because they know you, man. They know you. They know me. I'm still kind of getting acquainted with it, but I, like you, had a very similar experience where I took it out of the box, I got it plugged in, but I am so damn busy that I didn't even power it on for probably you know, the next day. I just didn't get, I didn't even get to it because, you know, I don't know. I got a lot. And so I, I fired up, I have set up so many laptops over the years that I can start to get a sense of a machine pretty quickly and uh, get, a, get an idea if it's going to be making a lot of noise and if it feels hot and okay, you know, those it's passing all of those things. It's doing a really good job. It wasn't until I wrapped up the work day and I just kind of, I put everything away and I just stayed here at the studio a little bit so I could take advantage of the bandwidth. And I just started throwing everything at it because I was kind of in a rush. And so, you know, I was using it in anger, as they say, although, you know, not angry, but just slamming everything at it. And that's when it started to impress me. You know, when a machine can take everything and still has, you can tell it still has more to give. I like that a lot. And you can upgrade this thing to 64 gigs of RAM. So if you need more headroom than 16 gigs, you can do it. I just don't think you can do it at time of configuration. But I get the sense, too, that you could probably replace other components in there as well. I'm I'm tempted to open up my review unit and see just how serviceable it really is because they, they did stress that. I don't know. I'm I'm tempted to say this thing is a contender for the crown of King of Linux laptops. They are in it to win it. They really are. And we did ask them, how did this relationship come to be? That that was a question that was asked, which they weren't going to touch on. And it sounds very much like HP got serious about wanting to get into this segment and realized they needed a topic expert. And my observation on that call that we had is that HP intimately understands the hardware, the supply chain, and the relationships, like relationships with like AMD. But System76 truly intuitively understands the Linux community and shipping a product for that crowd. And so I think those two things are actually working pretty well together. It sounds like HP realized they needed that topic expert. HP reached out to Carl, took a little bit of time. They started talking. They kind of realized, okay, actually, there is some things that kind of work here. And, you know, specifically, Carl said, 
at the end of the day, this is an opportunity to reach more Linux users on a tier one hardware OEM. And they didn't build Pop! OS to only run on System76 hardware. They built it for anyone to use. So, it, you know, it gets Pop! OS out there, too, which is a great thing for them. But I feel like they actually committed, right? When you hear that they just kind of banged out a, a, a GUI tool to configure HP's mouse and that they're doing indefinite Q&A and they have, they have dev ones in-house that they're testing firmware releases on and kernel releases on, it really, you know, it seems like, like, like often when System76 does something, they really go all in on it. Yeah, it, I'm I'm interested to see where this product line goes and um, when I can get my monitor. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and it's a great way to support the show. Linode is fast, reliable cloud hosting. Everybody in this audience eventually has a need for that. And unlike those crazy, hyper-complicated duopoly platforms that want to lock you into their esoteric interface, with their esoteric names for everything, Linode is classic hosting where you have full control. I mean, don't get me wrong. They got a great dashboard. They make it super easy to do one-click deployments and manage your DNS and set up VLANs and work with whatever infrastructure management tools you might have, like Terraform, Ansible, Kubernetes, etc. But also, if you just want to stand up some infrastructure, if you just want to take advantage of some really fast, really reliable, really well-supported hosting, you want to run something on Linux. You want to build a project. Linode's great for that, for an individual or for a business. Like I, I run my family gaming servers on Linode. I've mentioned this before, Starbound, fun little game, right? Minecraft, kids love it. Why not create a safe space for them on the internet, on my own Linode, or like my own SyncThing server, stuff like that. But we use it on our back end. In fact, we're using it more than ever, and pretty soon it'll be powering so much more. And to that end, Linode has just upgraded their managed database services. So earlier, it was just MySQL. And they launched that in May. And that's been super helpful because Linode knows how to do this stuff. They know how to do hosting. They can take care of that. Well, this week, they've added Postgres and MongoDB. Well, we use Postgres for several things. And Wes and I are already talking about migrating to this. Why wouldn't you, right? Outsource the responsibility of that maintenance and monitoring, all the burdens that make running a database a pain in the butt. Outsource it to Linode. Let their experts do it. I am so hyped that they finally launched this, and I can't wait to switch some of our backend stuff over to it. That's just great. I also love their object storage. I think you'll be blown away. I think you'll be really impressed. Go try it. Go get that $100 and support the show. What you do? Right now in your browser, you go to linode.com slash coder. That's a vote of confidence for the coder program, and it gets you that $100 for 60 days on a new account. Linode.com slash coder. Well, we have a little bit of leftovers, just brief leftovers from WWDC, and we have some text editor news drama going on, I suppose. So let's start there. GitHub has announced they are sunsetting the Atom text editor. And the original, I think, creator of Adam has announced that he's introducing Zed, a collaborative code editor written in Rust. <laughs> he's going out like that. He, that's right. He's coming back. Yeah. Although, you know, Zed was announced first, I believe, in the order of events. And then and then the sunsetting of Adam was announced. And you caught that. You were like, hey, this is weird. The Adam guy just announced a new project. <laughs> yep. And of course, it's, bu it's built in Rust because everything is built in Rust these days. 
There's a better way to write code. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mission-critical tools should be hyper-responsive. Real-time collaboration products are better software. Conversations should happen close to code. Oh, yeah, it needs a, definitely needs a chat client. I was just complaining to my wife that ultimately every tech product evolves to have a chat platform. Every tech product ultimately has a chat platform. No, 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 <laughs> no. Honestly, I'd give it a go. I'd give a, I'd give a Rust text editor a go. I will, too, just because it's not Electron. Yeah, exactly. Any, uh, any thoughts about Adam sunsetting? Uh, I mean, it was inevitable, right? It's, you know, VS Code exists. They were under the same parent, right, GitHub, effectively, because Microsoft bought GitHub. So only one could survive? I don't know. How many Electron editors do you need? <laughs> just saying yeah yeah i agree i agree it feels a little sad because whenever something gets replaced and killed you know it's just but it is the right call i happen to know there's audience members out there that love adam so yeah you hear from them every once in a while every time vs code releases a new feature that's tied to azure they're like haha see we warned you <laughs> yeah. but alas they also owned adam i think you're right get off my bridge all right, little WWDC leftovers. Just a couple of things that didn't make into our show because, I don't know, I was moderately disappointed with our coverage. Mostly things I didn't mention because I was in such a rush. But then again, I listened to some other podcast coverage and they, they get so drunk on the hype that it's embarrassing. I was going to say, what are you disappointed in? We managed to stay like not Apple high. I do think we did a good job there. We did not get, get crazy. We did get a follow-up from Apple. Stage manager on the iPad does require an M1 iPad. Only the M1 iPads have that virtual memory space. We suspect we suspeculated. That's right. Suspeculated. But uh, Apple confirmed. Also didn't mention it in our coverage. No tease of the Mac Pro, which seems late at this point, And no hints at all about AR or VR, even though that was massively hyped before the event. There was nothing there that kind of implied that. But I think the big thing that we didn't know at the time we recorded, but we now know after the fact, Apple has created a binary for x86 Linux boxes that's Rosetta. They've created Rosetta 2 for Linux that'll work on any modern ARM processor. Any ARM processor that meets the 8.2 spec or, or later can run this Apple Rosetta binary. Now, you got to get your hands on it. And uh, the way you get it is pretty ridiculous. You have to be on a Mac using a hypervisor that's probably Apple's, and then you have to mount a directory inside your VM to get access to it. But uh, assuming, and I believe it's already happened, the Linux community just figures out how to extract that, and I think that's already happened. You can throw this conceivably in an x86 container and then go run it on an ARM 8.2 or newer CPU. doesn't have to be a Mac box, in theory. Rosetta for Linux, an actual Linux ELF binary. That seems like a big deal to me. That also seems to signal that Rosetta is going to be around for a long time, and we're going to be able to run x86 apps on Macs for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be important for some developers. Yeah, Rosetta's got at least five to ten years, right? I guess the difference, although I don't know, I just was reading speculation. I guess the difference was Rosetta 1 contained a lot of code licensed from IBM, and Rosetta 2 is an Apple creation. So they own it all. So they could just run it forever indefinitely if they wanted to. And why not? 
I mean, maybe not forever, but also just a side note, not really relevant to the show. But we didn't really understand at the time, but Apple announced a buy now, pay later service. And Apple is actually going to be the lender in that situation. Apple has just turned into a lender. I believe they're working with Goldman Sachs again on this. They will handle the lending themselves for a buy now, pay later offering using Apple Pay. How dystopian is that? It's a long way from the kids with the rainbow apple and the pirate flag. That's for damn sure. Wow, man. Wow. I mean, we're talking we're talking acid trips and ashrams to we're in a deep partnership with our good friends at Goldman Sachs and yeah. we're now a bank. Yeah. Huzzah. Also, just to kind of round this out, Intel CEO Pat was talking big at an event, you know. The word you're looking for is drunk. Yeah, I, I think he might have been drunk. Or at least delusional. He said in a quote in an interview to Axios. He said that they think they can win Apple's business back. He says, quote, Apple decided they could do a better chip themselves than we could. And, you know, they did a pretty good job. So what I have to do is create a better chip than they can do themselves. I would hope to win them back to win a piece of their business as well as many other pieces of their business over time. Now, in other news, I just got this text message transcript. Tim, I'm sorry. What did I do? Please call. No reply. <laughs> Tim, I miss you. Now it's now wait wait now it's two thirty. The bar has closed. You know what, Tim? If you like that M one so much, then you can have him. Next day around noon, <laughs> Pat, you're starting to scare me. Please leave me alone. It's over. I have my own <laughs> uh, chip engineers now. All the best. I wish you a happy life. Oh man, your friend Tim. <laughs> Pat wakes up three hours later at three thirty. Tim. You're killing me. I miss you so much. Have you heard about Gen 12? Question mark. Happy face. No reply. <laughs> that is probably exactly what happened. I think you nailed that. I, I think I just got it, right? I got it. Yeah. You know, um, I, I watch sometimes the CNBCs and uh, the Intel Pat comes on. Uh, he comes on there. The Intel CEO. Oh, it's so sad. And and they're like, uh, boy, looking at the numbers, uh, Intel is uh, sort of set for like devastating losses in the uh, latter half of the year. And he's like, sure are. I mean, oh, wait. <laughs> no, no. He's like, no, no, it's going to be great. Uh, there's going to be a big surge of computer purchases in the fall. And have you heard, uh, have you heard of Ohio? Ohio, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, he's just predicting. Uh, anyways, they're so screwed. They're so screwed. But Qualcomm, though, they they are bullish. They're going to nail this. Qualcomm's chief executive said on Thursday, they believe the company actually will have the best chip on the market soon with help from a team of chiefs. <laughs> With help from a team of chip architects who formerly worked at Apple, but now work at Qualcomm. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Qualcomm's like, we're not even going to pretend anymore. We're just going to bribe a bunch of dudes from Apple. Let's go. That's pretty impressive. That is. For the record, if you guys like the sad breakup text message of uh, tech executives, I have many of those in the bank. <laughs> I feel like it could be a series right there. Boostagram. We did have a couple of boosts come in, but the show... As we record this year's show, I think our show's only been out for like 12 hours, 13 hours. Yeah, we're like back to back. But uh, the Golden Dragon sent us in 222 sats. Missed a duck. Minus one duck today. Uh, so I can get through a week on these sats. Glad to hear that the Dev One is a great system to Dev on. Maybe one you should go full Inception on and Dev on the Dev One using the Dev One Linux distribution. Whoa! He sent that in live to the show. Very sneaky, Doug. Damn. All right. Very nice. I feel like you get a special boost yell for sending that in live. Boom! 
boost. We also got a thanks from Cos uh, Peland. He sent in his classic 3690 sats. And then we got one in here that I think is going to get you fired up. I almost I almost don't want to read their name. Let's see if I can find it. Because I don't want to read their name on air. It's Egon. Is it, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure if you don't, we're just going to assume it's Egon. Yeah, no, I, no, no, it wasn't Egon. I know there was one more in here. Here it is. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So this this was uh, actually a pretty generous 5,000 sats boost from uh, Crashmaster18. And he's asking about an app that smells a lot like Alice. And he wants to know if you're familiar with it. But I don't even want to give them a plug on air. Oh, I'm not. I will, P- I will PM you the, uh, the name of this. Peep- here, I'll put the boost in here. See, see if you do you recognize that name? Now you tell me. Anyways, he wanted the Crashmaster wanted to know, so I'll pass it along to you. You go get him. You know, I you know I hate to see you go into war on the air, but Crashmaster wanted you to be aware. I'll take a look. I I do not. This does not look familiar. All right. Well, I also want to thank our members. Thank you very much. We get offers to do things that you would be surprised. We have gotten offers to do paid hardware reviews. We have gotten offers to do paid interviews. We get approached by all kinds of sponsors that are kind of probably not the sorts that you would probably prefer to hear from. Inebriated chip chip executives. Well, yeah. that that would I would take that sponsorship. That's I would I would take that Intel <laughs> yeah. money like that. Would I use an Intel machine? No, but I would take their money. Uh, I would love that, but no, like you know, you notice how we don't have mattress sponsors, right? Or like a Squarespace, like these ones that you know. Come on, have you have you noticed a lot of the higher end podcasts are now uh, offering you? Uh shall we say sausage pills for male enhancement? Isn't that fascinating to watch? Also having a membership feeds, let us do things like avoid dynamic inserts on our back catalog to monetize the back catalog, right? Like there's, it's just the membership is it's, it's like a real key pillar to how we do the show. So thank you to our coder QA team at coderqa.co. As a thank you, get an ad free version of the feed. I am working also on a live version of the feed, but it's going to take a little bit of tech backend work and you get the coderly report coderqa.co i think we should also mention that you and i will not be live the week of the 20th monday the 20th you and i are traveling and there will be no coder live that week but we will have one in the feeds so we, we should clarify we are traveling but because of the laws of physics we are not traveling to the same place or together or at the same time in the same space because that would right that would be you can't have two atoms share the same oh can we just do a quick star trek update before we Oh, oh, yeah, totally. So you got a strange already? You got a Strange Worlds update already? I continue to like Strange Worlds and I have once again finished the original series. Oh, season three could be the trickiest to get through. I, I just finished it. Season of Toss. Yeah, yeah, I just finished it. I know that can be a little tricky. It's not the, it's not the best season. It, the last episode is super weird, but I'm at a, a I, I'd say a fork, but it's more of a trident in the road. The obvious choice, I think, is uh, Next Generation, but that's the one I've watched the most. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of bald dudes who pretend to be French but are definitely British. Yes. They try to retcon that in Picard, by the way. Do they really? Yeah, they do. They try to. Oh, that's terrible. And, and then, of course, there's like, well, should I give Disco another chance? Because, you know, Star Trek with good effects is actually kind of cool. And then there's the, the one I keep neglecting because I just, it's Enterprise. I mean... I was hoping you were going to say that. I've never really given it a fair shake. So that's, I just finished season one of Enterprise and I'm just starting season two this week. Probably this weekend I'm starting season two. And 
I initially didn't love Enterprise, but I watched all of it when it aired. And I have to tell you, rewatching it now, if it's been a while since you watched it, rewatching it now, it is so much better than I remember. And I think in part because Discovery and Picard have changed my perspectives a little bit. This, this is the last Trek filmed in the traditional Trek style with the character actors that spanned multiple series and the, some of the same production crew. So it, it has a very familiar style, but it has the best effects of any of the Trek series. And the other thing that is extremely enjoyable is everyone is competent at their jobs. And, and, and they're ahead of the audience most of the time. Like, you know, you, when you're watching something you, on, you mean the characters, not the actors, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, when you yeah, okay. you know, like when you're watching uh, something on discovery and you're like, well, you know, if they would just do X, Y, Z, this problem would be solved and it's not really a big deal. And they don't do that for like three episodes and it drives you crazy in enterprise. Right. As you start going, well, you know, if they would just, they do it, they do it because they're competent and they're smart. And it's, it's so much better than I expected. It's so much better. And it has been very enjoyable to go back and rewatch it. And if I'm enjoying season one this much, I can't imagine how much I'm going to enjoy season three and four because I remember season one and two being the rockiest of them. And I was just looking at Rotten Tomatoes. You know, now has an audience average score of 79%. And the actors who play Malcolm and Trip, they've recently started a podcast called Shuttle Pod One, I believe it's it's based on their episode they did. Oh, to Overcast, yeah, okay. th- and it's actually it's on YouTube as a video production too. And they've been bringing on former directors and their co-stars. Uh, they just did one with Rick Berman, and they just did a, a two-parter with Brandon Braga. And uh, you know they, they were the people running production at the time. So you get it, like I just started watching Enterprise again, and then they launched that podcast, and then they're bringing on people and they're talking to be, uh, behind the scenes about the first few seasons. It has been so neat. It's a it's uh, you got to go enterprise, man. You uh, have got to go do enterprise. it. You got to. Well, can, can I throw two curveballs at you? Oh, yeah, of course. I have never completed all of Stargate, but I love Stargate. Uh, OK. And if I want to be a deep nerd, although I don't know that I have the stomach for this one. Babylon 5. Man, I have tried Babylon 5. I can't get through that. I feel like I should like it, but I've I've never made it past. I can't get through that first season. I've tried so hard. I just watched a YouTuber recap the Babylon 5 series and it did make me want to watch it. You know. Enterprise isn't going anywhere, right? So you could do a little bit of deviation. Have uh, have you done The Expanse yet? No, I have not. Is that, is that a comedy or is that Orwell? That's or Orville, whatever. Yeah, that's Orville. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I used to just watch TNG over and over again. I'm, I'm freaking out. Oh, God, Mike. Oh, God, I would kill to be you right now. I am so jealous that you haven't seen The Expanse yet. Feel it. So would, where is The Expanse available to me? Uh, Amazon Prime. Okay. And... I I took three passes at the first few episodes because I didn't like the character it initially focuses on, but that character isn't the main character of the series. And by the time I got through the first season, I was really into it. In fact, if a wizard came out of a genie, a genie came out of a bottle and they said to me, Chris, you can have one wish in the world. It wouldn't be, uh, you know, rich. It wouldn't be that I live forever. It wouldn't be any of that. It would be, Make Star Trek like The Expanse. It is Ooh, you're writing so some good. It is so good. It's it's what's going to be our future. What the expanse? It's it's almost it's almost it's almost inevitable. It's if humanity just kind of 
spread out into our solar system, but we never go beyond our solar system, right? Because it, when because this this show actually takes place with it, like it uses the limitations of space, right? The physics of space. They don't have like crazy technology that wouldn't actually exist. Combat is incredible because it's like it really really would be in space, and they nail the realism so well. They make such good characters, such good storytelling, and then on top of that. The books are incredible, and it's one of those rare things where the books don't really take anything away from the show. They just add more, you know, context. You could watch the show and never read the books, or you could watch all of the show and then read the books, or you could read the book and watch the show together. Like I've done all of that. Oh my god, sold, sold. That's what I'm doing. It's so great, and the audiobooks from Audible yes. are some of my favorite audiobooks of all time. It, it, you know, you got to go look up the Expanse series. It's kind of hard because there's like a lot of those books. Only the first six books are really where the TV show takes place. Some of the best television ever created, ever. And <clears throat> to just give you an idea, so the show started on sci-fi, uh, but it was so expensive to produce that sci-fi shut it down. But the fans loved the show so much, they freaked out. And one of the fans was Jeff Bezos. So Jeff Bezos just bought the whole bought thing and moved it over to Prime. Yeah. Like, Thanks. <laughs> So good, man. I uh, we're oh, so spoiled. Oh, I'd love to watch that again. All right. So so with apologies to Captain Archer yet again, that seems to keep happening every year. Um, the expanse it is. And I see that there's seven seasons currently. So this will take a while. Yeah. Oh, they're not too long. They're so good. So, so good. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, man. Anyways, I, I got it. I got to go lay down now. I'm so excited. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. I'm uh, I'm I'm for clamped now. Is there anywhere you want to send people this week? Uh, go to alice.dev. Nice and easy. He's uh, at Dumanuko on the Twitter. We'll have links there. I'm at Chris LES. The podcast is at Coder Radio Show. And the whole network's at Jupiter Signal. You know, there's a whole network of shows. We did a breakdown on that Rosetta story, the details of that in Linux Action News. And I'm going to do my Linux user's perspective review on Linux Unplugged of the HP Dev 1. I'm going to throw some benchmarks at it. Really push it all the way in Sunday's Linux Unplugged. So check that out. Links to what we talked about today at coder.show slash 470. That's where you'll find our contact form and our RSS feed. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. See you right back here next week. 